Country music. I love country music. Country music. Country music. The future of country music's looking good. I love it. Country confidential. You know, like I said, it, it was an odd journey, but I'm sure it's it's probably like a lot of journeys to get to Nashville. Whatever it took, you know, small steps, big steps, whatever. Country confidential. Have you ever wondered what your favorite country music stars did before they signed their big record deal? Country stars can live glamorous lives between stylists, tour buses, catering, sold out shows, and television appearances. But it always hasn't been glitz and glamour for your favorite artists. In fact, many had to work jobs that were downright awful, greasy, and maybe even a little bit smelly before they got to where they are today. In this episode, I got to chat with Craig Campbell, Frank Ray, Joe Nichols, and Ray Fulcher all about the jobs that they had before finding country music. You guys know me. I want all the secrets and untold stories from the artists who had careers before they got into music. I'm your host, Backstage Bobby, and this is Country Confidential, Careers Before Country. Craig Campbell is an artist that is no stranger to paying his dues. Although he wasn't actively pursuing a music career throughout his life, his love for it never wavered. In 2002, Campbell began his journey to Nashville. Throughout the 2000s, he spent his time mirroring a path that so many artists do. According to him, he was a demo singer by day and played gigs on Lower Broadway at night. He eventually found himself connecting with a signed artist that needed a keyboard player, and that artist was none other than Luke Bryan. Shortly after, he found himself on a year and a half stint as Tracy Bird's keyboard player. His journey to becoming a country icon was eventful, to say the least. Like many of us, I'm no stranger to his music and country career, but I wanted to know a little bit more about the jobs that preceded his time in country music, the jobs that made him the artist he is today. I don't know if it was a, the dream was to be in the industry. I just knew that I, I was I loved it and I loved singing and I loved uh, you know country music was just was just who I was and what I want and and as far as singing and playing the piano and the guitar I mean, it's just the only thing I really thought I was any good at and I I realized uh, before I graduated high school that there was an opportunity to actually do that and make a living, um, not necessarily being on the radio but just just being able to pay your bills and I was like you know what. And I loved it. So, I mean, the, the idea of, of being able to pay my bills with a job that I love to do, that was that's what it was all about. To know that I wanted to be in the industry, I don't know if that was something that I realized early on, but definitely wanted to be able to, to work uh, and, and make money doing it. I love that Craig knew from a young age that he wanted to be in country music. I think childhood is where every artist really does find their love for the genre. But as we all know, Success in any industry isn't easy and is often filled with road bumps. I wanted to know if Craig ever faced a turning point. When did he know he needed to be in Nashville? Yeah, I had a band. We played the bar scene uh, from coast to coast, and we were playing bars four and five, six nights a week at a time. So we had to put together a top forty show. So when we didn't do we didn't do just country. We did we did whatever was popular at the moment. Uh, and when a guy would quit in the band, you had to hire you had to find somebody that was willing to to learn that show, and then you had to teach them that show. And that happened to me a couple of times, and I and then finally. My guitar player quit. And this was the second time this same guitar player quit that I'm done. I'm done. 
I'm tired of this. I'm not going through this again. I'm moving to Nashville. Um, and that was in 2002. And I've been here ever since. As many artists know, moving to Nashville doesn't guarantee work. Craig shared with me about some of the side jobs he had while pursuing his dream to be a country music star. My best friend was already living here and he he had a job and he was married. And then unfortunately, he was he was getting a divorce. And he said, hey, man, if I can get you a job up here in Nashville, would you move up here and be my roommate? And coincidentally, it was like right around that same time my guitar player quit. And I said, dude, count me in. So I drove up on a Thursday, interviewed Friday morning. She hired me that Friday afternoon. I drove back home to Georgia that Saturday, packed all my stuff and, and uh, started work on Monday. So I was a maintenance man at an apartment complex for uh, probably a year and a half. And then I got fired from that job. But by then I had already, you know, I plugged myself into the music scene and was making money and, and doing that. So the, the longer I was a maintenance man, the, the more I realized I didn't want to be a maintenance man anymore. But I was, you know, very fortunate. I met some cool people along the way and, and, and just, I probably took a whole solid year of, of really just meeting people, meeting the people that, you know, that, that needed to be met. I met my wife. I mentioned earlier, I got fired, but, you know, fortunately for, for me, I was dating her and she had a house. So I moved in with her and didn't have to pay no rent. But, you know, I, that sounds like I'm a bum, but I was actually, I, mean, I was, I was making money, but, um, I just knew that I didn't want to be a maintenance man. And I knew that I wanted to be a singer and I knew, I knew that's what I wanted to do for a living. And I just, you know, I, I kept my head down and, and, and uh, went after it and, and refused to take no for an answer. Craig really followed his dreams despite all the ups and downs Nashville threw at him. In our conversation, he touched on something that helped him and something that I think really helps everybody here in Music City, networking. You may even recognize some of the people Craig connected with early on in his career. I, I knew some people when I moved here. I knew some some songwriters, and and I, I was writing with those guys. But then there was there was this one guy that we had a mutual friend, Luke Bryan, and this was before Luke had his record deal. But he said, you know, Luke, Luke's from Georgia. I was like, cool. He's like, and I'd never met Luke, but he said Luke needs a piano player. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, you know, if it pays good, let's go. You know, so I got to play piano for Luke for about. I would say a little, maybe six or eight shows. And long story short, he was a fan of mine and he didn't even know it. Like he saw me play on lower Broadway, but he never knew my name. So when I joined his band and was messing around during soundcheck, he comes up to me. He's like, Oh my God, you're the guy that I saw blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, he said, dude. And then so fast forward a little bit. He, he was like, man, you don't need to be, you don't need to be anybody's side man. He's like, let's, uh, we'll get back to Nashville on I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to introduce you to some people. And, and, you know, he introduced me to a guy named John Mabe, who was married to Connie Harrington, who was a big, big time songwriter. And that, that was my very first paid demo that I got. I got paid to sing uh, a demo for another songwriter. And then that just seed was planted. And I started singing for other people. And for, we could honestly say that that's the uh, bulk of my success came from that moment. There's nothing I love more than hearing these stories from now huge country music stars. It's a great reminder that everybody starts somewhere. But Craig also shared with me what he felt was the hardest part of transitioning into music full time. It was crazy. I mean, we we uh, we went from me and my wife. We we did everything together. Uh, we we had a couple of businesses that we ran. When I got a record deal, we we had one baby. But then when I when I released my first song in the middle of that was we had our second baby 
So I went from us being together all the time, being a, essentially a stay-at-home dad while she did she she worked. Um, we went from just that to me being on all the time, and so it was it was a weird transition. We had it in our heads that if if I could just you know hit it hard for five or ten years and 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 basically get to a point where I could just pick and choose my dates and be able to have another tour bus and all that, and then that's what we'd do. But it was a weird transition, but we just thought that was just part of it. I was also curious about what goals Craig has met in his career so far. I definitely have, have checked a few boxes off the list. Uh, having songs on the radio, that's pretty awesome. Um, playing the Grand Ole Opry is, is, was one of those things. Um, opening for some of my heroes, Alan Jackson, Merle Haggard. Um, going on tour with Luke Bryan was, pretty, was, was a pretty big deal. Uh, but, I mean, you know, family-wise, just being married for 16, going on 17 years, and two beautiful – and that's probably my, my greatest achievement um, – you know, as far as things that I haven't been able to do yet, that I'm, uh, I haven't had a number one song. So I'm, I would, I'd love to have one of those one day still. And, you know, sell out arenas, you know, if, if it's in the cards, I'd love for that to happen. But I mean, I'm not worried about it if it don't, you know, it, it you always got to reach for, for the stars. And if you, if you reach the moon, then, you, you know, you, you, you have been successful. Frank Ray is a New Mexico native who has always had music in his soul. He grew up listening to country and ranchera music because of his father. Being of Hispanic descent, he drew inspiration from other Hispanic artists like Freddie Fender. He felt that his background made him unique in the country music space. But he didn't start his career in country right away. He actually was a police officer in New Mexico for more than a decade. Once his songs got a little bit more attention on the Texas country charts, he retired as a police officer and pursued his country music career full-time. Frank stopped by Joe's on Weed here in Chicago, where I got to sit down with him to chat a little bit more about his career before country music. Growing up in Texas, it always just kind of spoke to me. I was always exposed to it, um, and so I always wanted to... I mean, I always fell in love with country music because of the, the lyrics and the storytelling and all that. Um, but it was just something that I, I, I just grew up around, and, and uh, just being immersed in that world, was it was easy to fall in love with it. While Frank loved country music, he also had another passion, serving and protecting his community. I had a 10-year career in law enforcement that I did in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, and it was, uh, it was a good time. I built a family there. I, built, uh, I got a lot of life experience, and I've seen a lot. Uh, and 10 years of that, any officer will tell you, is, is enough, is enough. <laughs> I was just like, all right, but I really wanted to, this has always been my life's passion. And uh, when I got an opportunity to do it, uh, I did it. Everybody who knew me, though, knew that music was my passion. And so I struck up a band and played kind of the local honky-tonks around my region. And um, and that's, you know, everyone seemed to enjoy it. So we were, I knew I was onto something good if I just stuck stuck to it. And it, it wasn't until I linked up with my current team, my manager, my band now, uh, and of course with my wife's blessing that everyone said, I think we got something special here. We should, we should pursue it. And so it was kind of an easy choice after that. I wanted to know a little bit more about the lessons that Frank learned while he was on the police force and how those lessons helped him pursue his now blossoming music career. I also wanted to know if he felt that there were any parallels between the two careers. I think probably the storytelling, but a lot of people don't really credit uh, police officers for being able to paint a picture of a scene, especially something they have to remember 
uh, not not only for public perception, but something I have to remember, for, you know, for a court trial or something like that. It comes three or four years down the road. So um, being able to be very descriptive and try to put somebody who wasn't there in the moment is something that I, I learned uh I do in music a lot and trying to t- paint a story and, and make you feel like you're at that bar or you're trying to pick up this person or you're feeling that hangover or whatever it is you know we just really try to uh, paint with words I really feel like any life experience or background can help you succeed as a country artist Frank shared with me a little bit more about his journey and when he really felt he could turn country music into a full-time career I w- had really kind of dipped my toes into the Texas market uh, and I, I did that um and it got pretty tumultuous. I mean, I was off Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays, which were prime gigging days. But, you know, Texas is huge. And so if we picked up a gig somewhere in central Texas, just trying to get back took us a good 10, 12 hours. Um, and so I was showing up to work Sunday morning for briefing, 630, uh, just dog tired. And I had to try to balance that whole thing. And it just wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, I was, I was spread pretty thin. And, and my wife could see it. It was kind of wearing me down. She was like, you got to make a choice. And I was like, okay, well, I'll choose law enforcement. She's like, no, no, that's that's the obvious one. You don't want to do that. We got to do the one that takes gusto. So many of us need a great support system to succeed. And I love that Frank leaned on his family to help pursue his dreams. But I also wanted to know who else helped him make this career transition. We have a pretty small team. I mean, I can, I can talk about the people that helped me along the way once we made the decision. But that decision came from... Me, my wife, my family, like my mom, my dad, my brother, everybody was just really encouraging about it. Um, and and then the band, everybody shared the same kind of aspiration. Everyone had the same vision about how far we could take this. And so everybody just, everybody just uh, had my back. And so it made it really easy to, to make that leap, you know. I say that lightly now. <laughs> but it was, when you have that many people supporting you and saying that, hey, we have something special here then you have to believe it at some point, right? In talking to Frank, I really could feel the passion for everything that he does. I asked if he could share what he felt were some of his biggest challenges that he'd faced when he decided to give up the police force and to become a country artist. Uh, no, it's actually the stability behind it all. You know, I say the stability behind having a steady career and knowing that there's this safety net there. There's this, uh, you know, you get, you get a steady paycheck. You really don't know how this music thing's going to take off because there's a wealth of talent out there and you're just trying to do the same damn thing everybody else is doing. Just trying to make it. Uh, and so it's a big it's a big risk when I had something that was safe. And so that was kind of the hardest thing about walking away from something that, especially that I dedicated 10 years of my life to. So, uh, but I'm glad I did. It's working out. It's safe to say that Frank is on an upward path towards success, but I wanted to know what goals he's achieved and what he still wants to achieve in his country music career. Oh gosh, well, I would definitely love to uh, get some hardware, you know what I mean? I'd got to get some hardware, whether it's an ACM, a CMA, uh, uh, you name it, uh, a Grammy. I mean, those are those are long-term goals, I think, that we can, uh, if, if we put them out there, we can manifest it for sure. Uh, mainly because I feel like it's been a long time since uh, an artist in my position, especially in the Hispanic culture, has uh, represented or has been represented in the genre and it's a genre that we all love and so I'm just really hoping to kind of make my mark in country music and and be the face and I mean even with the Grand Ole Opry it's just something that uh, my name is there and I get to my kids will tell their kids and they'll tell their kids hey my great-grandfather played here you know it's just a piece of history that I want to leave behind Uh, but yeah if we're talking about the stuff that I keep tangible stuff I definitely want to get some hardware just to to show my family and everybody back home that hey we did we did it you know 
Joe Nichols is an Arkansas native and country music hit maker. Throughout his career, his sound has been influenced by the voices that he grew up listening to, like George Strait, Merle Haggard, George Jones, and Buck Owens. Guys, Joe has been sharing his signature deep vocals for nearly two decades now. And after his recent release, Good Day for Living, I got to sit down with Joe to reflect on all of the jobs that led him to a whopping nine studio albums and five number one hits. But every successful country artist story starts somewhere. Going all the way back to my first memories, I can remember my father being a musician. Uh, my grandfather, my uncle, was a musician. Not not anything big, but they played in little clubs, you know, and they played on the weekends for family get-togethers, things like that. And I just grew up watching them. I always wanted to be like them. I thought they were the coolest people in my life, and they sang great and played great, and they played songs I wasn't probably supposed to hear. <laughs> I, you know, I, I sang... As like a six and seven year old, I remember the words to, you know, uh, think I'll just stay here and drink and old habits like you're hard to break and redneck and love making night, stuff like that. I, you know, from early on, like I said, that's some of my earliest memories that I have, um, some of my best memories. So I, I don't know if I always envisioned myself as being, quote unquote, in the industry, but I always wanted to be a singer. I always wanted to be a musician because I want to be like them. Are y'all noticing a theme here? All of these guys fell in love with country music at such a young age and knew that they wanted to pursue a career in country music. But like everyone, Joe's journey wasn't straightforward and simple. I had a feeling that Joe's road to Nashville was nothing short of eventful. My options were limited around where I was from. I was, I'm, I'm from Rogers, Arkansas. Um, at the time, uh, it was a lot smaller place, uh, not not a tiny place, but a little smaller than it is now. But I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be around music all the time. And I did some uh, odd stuff here and there where they let underage, you know, people come in and sing with the band. I did that all the time because I, I couldn't find a band that could play in clubs. I was still you know, 17, 18 years old. You know, I'd, like I said, I'd sit in on Sunday nights. They'd let underage get in for up to like nine or 10 o'clock. And so I'd get in with the band and sit in for a few songs and they were probably annoyed at me, but I, was, I, I just wanted that so bad. And that was the only thing you could do as a band back then, you know, and in the country world anyway. Um, you, you played in a bar when you were of age, and that's about all you could do as you're, if you're a musician. So I DJed some stuff, um, you know, for friends at, at, at this little place, a little non-alcoholic country dance bar. And I kind of I fell in love with that. I loved, you know, playing the music. And then I parlayed that into a job at the local radio station, uh, midnight to six, overnight shifts, and, and um, kind of getting away with a little looser of a program log <laughs> most of the time getting away with it. But yeah, that's kind of how I, I got closer to the music business. You know, there's only so much I could do being, like I said, a kid, a 17, 18 year old kid until the first opportunity came along. I could actually put to put a band together and start playing some shows, you know, at, in Walmart parking lots and high school gyms and things like that. Despite having to work through many odd jobs, being a country artist remained his passion. I was curious to know when he felt that country music really became a career option. From the time that I probably was um, 15 or 16 years old, I think I had my mind set on becoming, music, becoming a musician professionally, no matter what. So if, if that meant making a hundred bucks a week, doing you know music Friday, Saturday or Sunday or all three, you know, that's what it was. I'd be, I'd live on a hundred bucks a week. Um, and that, that was a pretty early decision. I played baseball at the time and I thought, well, maybe I'll stick with this baseball and I seem to be pretty good at it. Maybe I can maybe take a run at college or something like that. I didn't really care for school all that much though. And I wasn't good enough to be one of these high school guys that, you know, gets into professional ball right away. So that kind of narrowed my choices down. And, and, um, when I was 
16, 17 years old, I decided that one day I was going to move to Nashville. My route to get there was a little uh, unusual as I went to Fort Smith, Arkansas first. And like I said, that's where I put a band together and, and kind of started playing little places that, that would allow me to sing there, high school gyms, parking lots. Uh, I even played in a club one time uh, that didn't allow under 21. But I played, I sang right outside the back door into the club. So I set up the mic stand at the door. It's freezing, freezing cold that day. It was in Oklahoma, a lot in Oklahoma, I believe. And um, they set the microphone stand up in the doorway. The crowd was, you know, cuddled, uh, huddled around the, the door. The band was over to the side on the stage. And it was a weird setup, but it really worked. I think we made it into Country Weekly with that little, that little deal. But um, stuff like that, I always had in the back of my mind that that was what it took at that time to take the next step to get to Nashville, to get on a major label and start doing real recording, you know, where, where I can take real time, get around real writers, get around real producers um, with, you know, big time decision makers. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it was an odd journey, but I'm sure it's, it's probably like a lot of journeys to get to Nashville, whatever it took, you know, small steps, big steps, whatever. Small steps or big steps, whatever it took. I love that. And I think it's really amazing advice for everyone. When you're passionate about your dreams, nothing can stop you. But like Joe mentioned, his route to five number one hits was a little tricky, just like many artists looking for that success in country music. Joe shared with me a little bit more about the jobs that he worked to make ends meet, even when he did make it to Nashville. I had some weird jobs. Being broke and having no education really at all uh, and being kind of in a town where you don't really know anybody. I knew my best friend, Brian, and he was a musician too, kind of in the same boat I was in, just trying to look for a, an avenue to get in front of some people. We we had some jobs together that were ridiculous. I unloaded trucks for UPS for a little while. That was fun. <laughs> during the Christmas season, I think I got a job for a little while during the Christmas season. And it was, you know, hey, it, pay, it was steady work and it, and it was a paycheck. Nothing wrong with that job. I think I, I sold steaks door to door for one day now this a friend of brian's had this had this little company going where he had these like an omaha steaks you know you see these little frozen steaks and they travel around and they got a little truck and they come into a neighborhood and hey, i got a whole truck full of quality prime steaks you know i'll give you a deal on them and um and we were so dumb we were so young and like hungry we had 10 bucks between us we put it in the gas tank so just give us some steaks and we'll go sell them and it was terrible we we i mean i, I can't I, I'm not a salesman. First of all, I don't have a salesman type mentality. So there was nothing about me that was natural in that environment. So I'd walk up to a house and like, Hey, look, I gotta be honest with you. I had put $10 in this truck and I got meat to sell. And if you know anybody that likes steak, I'm the guy to buy it for from, but you know, I'm not going to give you the spiel. And so I didn't sell anything. I was terrible at it. I didn't know how to schmooze or anything or make deals or anything. So Brought back the truck that evening, miserable. Had gotten kicked in the pants once again by Nashville, Tennessee. This time by something as lowly as, you know, this job that I paid ten dollars to to lose. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it was just it was what it was. It, and it, as miserable as that day was, as funny as that was, it would just it just lit it put a little piece of kindling on that little fire that I wanted. I want to be successful. If nothing else. Is to make sure that I don't have another day like this, you know, and I moved furniture. I was a cable man. Yeah, I did all kinds of weird things, man. I, I sang karaoke at a couple places for, you know, they had a little contest I'd hear about and I'd go sing and I'd, I'd win a few of them. I'd win a couple hundred, three or four or 500 bucks. You know, sometimes I'd make it week to week on some of that stuff. You know, that back then you, you had those kinds of things in Nashville, those 
bigger clubs, uh, not like on Broadway, but you know, on their outer skirts, um, you can get in a karaoke contest. And if you win it, you know, like I said, three or 400 bucks goes a long way when you're making <laughs> minus $10 selling steaks. Joe and I shared a lot of laughs reminiscing on what he did before he made his country music dreams a reality. It's crazy to look back on that journey now and to see how successful he is. It really shows the power of never giving up. Even though he's had some hard times, I had a feeling that he's turned those situations into great lessons learned. Well, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, it's a good, healthy perspective that gives you a chance to have a lot of gratitude for the success you have. But there's been times in my career, times in my life that I've been completely ungrateful and unaware of the experience that I had before. But uh, I'll tell you what, anytime I go down memory lane and I remember a hot day when I'm walking outside somewhere and it's 110 degrees outside, I'm sweating and I don't know what I'm doing. And and I'm thinking, this day is miserable. I'll think immediately. Nothing will be as miserable as that July day trying to sell steaks door to door with frozen steaks that were thawing rapidly in in a 110 degree truck. And with no prospects whatsoever to to help my situation. So I do think that memories like that help me laugh a little about, you know, my life's journey. Uh, And they also give me a little bit of kick in the pants to say, how about don't say no when you feel like, you know, you want to be a diva. How about just do it? If it's hard, just do it. You know, if you don't want to do it or you feel like it's too much or, or whatever, Do it anyway, man. You don't know when you're going to know the chance to do this. Joe's insight on how he's built this career and maintained such a good attitude is truly inspiring. I know it's something that I really want to put into practice into my own life. Joe's journey to country music fame is the dream for so many others out there. So I wanted to know what advice he had for other artists looking to make it big. First, I would say you you have to be where decisions are made. And I know a lot of people work from home and a lot of people can't really necessarily change their situation, whether they live in Oklahoma or Wisconsin or Illinois, they can't just uproot family and move to Nashville. Well, I would say that however you can change that, you have to be around where the decisions are made. You have to be able to walk into an office and impress somebody or be seen playing that evening in front of somebody that can make a decision. And sometimes in Illinois, you can't do that. Sometimes in, you know, like I said, Kansas or Missouri or something, you can't do that. So be where the action is. Uh, Second, I would say, be willing to say yes to anything and know when to say no when it's time. And I'll, I'll clarify that. If it takes playing six hours a day on Broadway, then writing in the morning for six hours and waiting tables for a couple hours in between there, if it takes 18 hour days of breaking your back, do what it takes. Be willing to do what it takes because it'll probably take just a little bit more of whatever you're doing. So be willing to say yes to about anything. And also at the very end of that, the very tail end of that, I would say be willing, uh, understand when to say no, when your body tells you this is unhealthy from my mind and I'm going to start resenting ever being here in the first place. And I'm going to start hating the thing that I love the most and I'm here to do. So maybe say no to a little bit and take a break and maybe put things back into perspective a little bit. Understand that wisdom is the key. Uh, Good work ethic is a big part of this, but also mental stability, mental health, mental direction ambition, all those things, healthy perspective, those are all the things you have to keep in line. And if you go, you overdo it and you start hating people that are successful at this, or you get resentful about 
other people that are doing what you're doing, but they're having more success, then you're, you need to readjust your brain. So say no to some right now, get that right, readjust, get back after it. That is some great advice from a very seasoned professional. We talked so much about his journey and the struggles along the way, but I ultimately wanted to know what he has been most proud of after all these years. I, I would say that my proudest moment um, or proudest achievement, it's not an award and it's not number ones. It's not selling platinum albums. It's the longevity. You know, my dad, he, he didn't teach me a lot of things about what a good life or a good direction is. You know, there was a lot of chaos and, and he was he was good about a lot of things, but a lot of fatherly things were a little off. But one thing he did teach me was good work ethic. What I learned from him is when it's hard, keep going. When it's hard, keep going. And if it looks impossible, no, no pun intended with my song, if it looks like it's undoable, it probably isn't. You know, so you get up, you go to work, you do the next thing. You get up, you go to work, you do the next thing. You get up, go to work and do the next thing. So that work ethic, I think in me, is, has let me, has given me some reprieve from feeling sorry for myself when I didn't have back-to-back hits. I would have you know, two or three big songs in a row, and then I'd go two or three singles, and I'd kind of go away from radio, and, and I'd stumble, and then people would be like, oh, they're done, you know, that's the end of Joe. And then all of a sudden, I come back with a song like Tequila Makes Your Clothes Fall Off and have Size Matters, and I'll wait for you on top of that. And all of a sudden, riding high in success, seven million records again. And then I'd kind of trickle off with kind of bad record label decisions, you know, and bad personal decisions kind of mixed in there. And I'd kind of trickle and fall away a little bit. People were like, ah, oh, well, he had a comeback, and he's gone now. And then I got back to work, got in the studio. And I focused again and I, I got, give me that girl. And I got, give me that girl in the shape I'm in. And all of a sudden I'm riding out a couple of big hits again and, and things are looking great. And then another thing happened. It's just one of those things where the label and, and I kind of met in a, in a very interesting, I'd rather do this and with your money. And I, I thought, I, well, I'd rather keep that money and keep going with my career. And uh, that's how we kind of didn't see eye to eye. So they effectively tried to end my career and kind of did for a little while. But my work ethic, again, and trusting people around me uh, would would not let me give up. And I refuse to give up and lay down and just say, oh, I've been beaten. And I've had all my comebacks I'm going to have. That's when I went to work in the studio, found a couple, a couple of great people I trust in the studio. Tony Brown introduced me to Mickey Jack Cones. We went in and recorded Yeah and Billy Graham's Bible. And we took that into uh, a few labels, got a couple of offers right away. This would have been my fourth comeback. I got a few label offers and uh, found the right one. As It was uh, with a Broken Bow group run by Benny Brown. And uh, he's starting a new imprint called Red Bow. And he gave me this song and many other songs that I freaking fell in love with. But one of them was called Sunny in 75. And uh, it sounded nothing like me. I had, I had yeah in my back pocket. And I think we all knew this is a hit. We need something to go with it. We need that momentum again. And uh, Benny told me, Tony cut this song I'm telling you that it feels really good. And I was like, Benny, this, this doesn't sound like me, though. This is going to be really hard to pull off because it's, it's a pretty progressive sound. And um, he said, I'll tell you what, I believe in you. And if we don't like it, nobody will ever have to hear it. Uh, we'll just throw it in a garbage can. But do me a favor, go in and... I believe you'll go in and kill it. And so we went in took some time and figured out a unique way to do it where it had energy and intimacy all at the same time. And all of a sudden we created Sunny in 75, put that out first. And we had big old number one, huge, huge song, Sunny in 75. We followed that up with Yeah and uh, another one, Hard to Be Cool. And then um, Benny uh, had to sell the record label group uh, to take care of his ailing wife. It was a heartbreaking story. His wife had fallen ill and, and he said it, it was his time to, to leave the business and, and take care of his wife. 
And I thought at that time, I thought, well, I've had what, four or five, five comebacks, something like, something like that. I thought, that's a lot of lives, man. <laughs> that's a lot of lives. There's a lot of comebacks. And then, um, you know, a couple of years goes by and uh, I'm kind of just figuring out what, what I want to do with, with life, with everything, with music and kind of, you know, is this where the cowboy rides away? Is this kind of where I sit off in the sunset and just kind of say, there's my catalog. I hope y'all liked it. I'll, I'll tour when I can, you know, this be it. And then I got a phone call from Benny Brown. He said, Joe, I've decided to start a new label and uh, I want you on my roster. I want you on my bench here. And I thought, put me in coach. That is absolutely what I'm going to do with my life now. And so we went in the studio right away. And I love that man. He's just, he's been like a father to me. He's been so kind to me over the years. And, and uh, you know, he has a tremendous amount of trust in me and, and I have a tremendous amount of faith and trust in him. And, and uh, he's always honest with me. And we've always done the right thing by me. In turn, I've always done the right thing by him. And so here I am with this album that we we took a lot of time on 2020, 2021. Uh, we've put it out and now we have, you know, Home Run did really well to kind of reintroduce us to the scene a little bit. And now we have Good Day for Living, who's done really well at radio so far. And it's getting traction like no single I've had in a while. So that's that's really good. And and I say, could we possibly be in for comeback number six? <laughs> you know, oh my God. Wouldn't that be something? At some point, do you still call them comebacks? <laughs> I mean, there's got to be another term for this. I mean, uh, I don't know. But um, but hopefully it happens, man. I, I Like I said, my story is a little odd, you know, but I, I'm sure it's it's there's a lot of odd stories out there that kind of, you know, take interesting paths and uh but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully in the beginning of my sixth comeback and I, I feel younger than I did 10 years ago because I, I learned to start taking care of myself and start living a different kind of life. You know, I, I mentally, uh, w- with never, uh, having any kind of chemical dependency or anything like that, mentally, you can drive yourself into the ground and you can become a miserable person and you can, you can look miserable and you can age yourself year after year after year tenfold if you just feel miserable all the time you add booze and stuff like that into that mix you're gonna make it even worse so i've I've changed the way i think and i've certainly eliminated any kind of booze or anything like that from my life i feel like i did 20 years ago when i started this thing i feel that you know most of the time sometimes it hurts most of the time it does in long runs man it can hurt sometimes but but i just feel like i'm in a a different place now and I'm, I'm grateful that I feel and I'm singing better than I think I did 10 years ago. I'm singing better. I'm getting close to, you know, where I was when I started, you know, chops wise. I remember in my mind the way I was inspired to sing and I'm singing like that again. Ray Falter is a Georgia native whose name you might not recognize right away yet, <laughs> but I'm sure you've definitely heard his music. He has over 30 million streams without a major label deal, over 3 billion, yes, I said billion streams as a songwriter, and four number one singles that he co-wrote with his good friend, Luke Combs. Plus, he's played on some of country music's biggest stages. Ray's got a storied career, and the best part, he's really just getting started. But before all of his success in country music, Ray found himself dipping his toes and succeeding and many other things, like being a part of the National Barrel Race Horse Association, 18 and under, as a finalist, just at the age of 12. Man, try saying that 10 times fast. Plus, at the University of Georgia, he was on the football staff. After that, a car salesman, an ATV parts and service manager, and I'm sure there's many more. 
I had a chance to sit down with Ray before opening his second sold-out show with Luke Combs at the United Center in Chicago to learn a little bit more about his journey to country music. You know, I didn't always dream of being a country singer-songwriter, but 90s country kind of raised me. And I remember my first experience kind of falling in love with country was my dad and I were going to, I'm from Harlem, Georgia, a little bitty town outside of Augusta. And I was, we were on our, our way to set up a deer stand. And I remember Oceanfront Property came on when I was a little kid. And I remember going like, Dad, turn that up. And that's the and, I, and then that song was just like my first favorite song. And then after that, it was, I just loved, anytime I was listening to music, it was country music. And um, But my mom and dad, my, my dad loved like Don Williams and Merle Haggard, but he also loved like the, like, uh, Motown, like the Temptations and Four Tops, and my mom loved Elvis and like gospel music and all that. So I, lo- I kind of fell in love with all types of music, but my kind of the thing that I found and latched onto was 90s country. And so it wasn't until I picked up a guitar after going to my first Eric Church show that I actually started wanting to be, you know, song- write songs for a living and uh, and be on stage. And so, which I was 19 years old. So that whole time from when I was a kid to 19, I just fell in love with the genre. And then that's that night is when the light bulb went off for me and was like, I gotta, I gotta try this. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Music has always been there for him, but his journey to where he is now has definitely had some twists and turns. What I was gonna go do was be a teacher, history teacher, because I love history, and football coach. And so when I went to Georgia, um, I always knew, I always thought, like, I'm gonna be in sports, doing something with sports. And so I loved, I played baseball and football growing up, and played in high school but you know I had some low-level baseball offers but I went to Georgia because I got in there and I was like I want to go you know be a dog and stuff and um, and when I got there I got a a job working for the team and so when I got that I was like okay well this is definitely what I should be doing and what I need to be doing Um, and so that's why I went in education I was like when I get done I'm gonna go teach and make a difference hopefully and then also coach football and baseball um, you know and just that's what was going to make sense for me until the Eric Church show. And that's what kind of got my wheels turning because it just, it was a passion that I, it, was a, it just it started this, as this itch that I had to scratch. And then over time it became like, oh, I have to do this, you know. So, and then I stayed and got a master's in education, which was, um, it made mom real happy. And, and I'm glad I did it. You know, I learned a lot doing it. And, uh, but also uh, when I moved back home after getting my master's degree and I didn't take a job in education, I, I sold cars for a year and a half, which I have a song called Selling Cars that I debuted at the Opry that we haven't put out yet, but we will. It's a special song to me, kind of about that period of my life. And then also was a parts and service manager at a ATV store, which I don't know nothing about parts and service of ATVs, but I have really good mechanics that save me all the time. And they call, people would call and ask me questions, and I go, hold on one second, and I call a mechanic and go, hey, he's asking about this, what is that? And he'll go, just tell him this, and I go, okay. So... Anyway, I got through with that for about a year, and then uh, right before I moved to Nashville, I was um, selling gym memberships at a uh, gym in Augusta, Georgia. Those things allowed me to have a job and pay the bills, but they weren't like my passion job, so I could do that, and then in the times I was off, I was working on music constantly. Just being around Ray, I could really feel his passion and love for country music, but throughout all of his different paths, I was really curious to know what helped keep his country music dreams alive. I think sports has helped me a lot in the mindset that it's taken to kind of, number one, move to Nashville, but number two, even when it's tough to like keep going. And so I remember thinking when I was, you know, I moved, you know, kind of later in my mid-20s to Nashville, which is 
late for you know a lot of people and so and it feels like the longer you're in your hometown and the older you get it's harder to leave and, and I kept almost talking myself out of moving by just going like well nobody's probably ever moved to Nashville and known no one at my age and made it so like it probably doesn't make sense to go just to go but then the other side of me was always like well there's got to be a first and so what I would have had the first and that what if was always there and so um that and just kind of the the belief instilled in in me just from my parents and coaches and all that like if you work hard enough and you do believe and you do things the right way that whatever that thing is is possible and so I just truly believed in that and then doubled down and then, then the other side of it was just if something's scary sometimes you just got to lean into it which moving to Nashville was very scary um for me and so but uh Coach Smart at Georgia has this saying, and I always, like I said, sports, but he has this saying, it's like it takes what it takes. And so whatever it is in your life, like whatever it takes to get over something or whatever it takes to accomplish this goal, whatever it takes is just what it takes. And so I was like, all right, well, if it takes me leaving my whole life behind and taking this chance and being scared, if that's part of it, then that's just part of it. So, And I try to take even little things day by day kind of with the same mindset. So... um, it's worked so far, so hopefully it keeps working. <laughs> I'm sure we can all relate to the what ifs in life. I know I definitely can. I remember diving headfirst into backstage Bobby after an aha moment I had after wondering about what if. I wanted to know what Ray's country music aha moment was. I had went about a year of, of changing my mind like every other week about if I was moving or staying or whatever. And, you know, I'd always heard if you want to do this, you got to be in Nashville. And then but then part of me was like, I can't leave everything I have. Because at the time I had a girlfriend there and my whole family's there and everything. But I remember going like thinking like, I need some sort of just sign to help me, you know, make this decision. And so the one person I knew in Nashville, who I only met him one time, um, who actually ended up being my bass player for a long time. He uh, put up a Facebook status one day when I was selling gym memberships. And it said, uh, hey, we just had one spot open up at our house in Nashville. Who wants it? Literally right then, before I could change my mind, I'd message him and was like, I'll take it. When do I need to move in? And he sent back like, all right, well, you know, if you want it, we got to have rent starting next month. And I go, okay, I'll pay that and I'll move the next month. And before I could change my mind, I just, because that was the sign for me that was like, okay, it's the only guy I know and he's got a spot at his house. Like, I've got to go. So that was it for me. Like so many artists, Ray took a serious leap in his career when he moved to Nashville, Tennessee. He shared with me about his early supporters and friends, and I bet you, you'll recognize some of these names. I remember my first week in town, I met a guy named Cole Taylor, who's a songwriter and um, written a bunch of songs that, that people have heard. And he's from South Georgia, but he had moved probably a couple years before me. And so I moved and, and the first week I met him, and uh, I remember asking him like any advice or whatever. He goes, just find, you gotta find your crew, like your family in town. Maybe that takes six months, maybe it takes a year, but that you ride together, you have each other's back, you whatever. And that was a great piece of advice. I mean, and now Cole is kind of one of those guys for me and has been for a while. Um, but yeah, and then from there I just met, you know, I met guys, girls and guys like Baron Rachels is a, is a great friend of mine. And uh, the guys from Sutherland, Matt Chase and, and Chris Rogers and Jordan Rager. And I mean, you go on down the line and, and then I met Luke my first weekend in town before he even was, was in town. He had just come to record a few songs and was staying on my buddy's couch, who I met the weekend that I moved to town. And so I walked in and here's Luke Combs, who hadn't even moved yet, 
my first week in town, we exchanged numbers. So when he moved, we connected again, started writing, and then you know, next thing you know, it's we're here we are. I guess seven years later. Um, but uh, yeah, just it's really just those group of people that you meet, and you're like, oh, if I didn't move, I wouldn't have met this person. And we just sat down and wrote a song that you know, whether the world hears it or not, like, man, I'm really proud of that. And like that would have never happened had I not moved. And so, just those little little bitty things that happened that first year that makes you go like. Phew, why don't I do this sooner, you know? No matter what, country music is always there. Maybe that's why we all love it so much. It's one of the reasons I love it, and it's given me a really great opportunity to connect with so many amazing artists and people in the industry. I'm always getting those pinch-me moments. Ray said to me that he's gotten a lot of those too, and he shared with me about where he finds himself in terms of his past and future goals. You know, it's hard to cut. When I moved to Nashville, I like I didn't really know what kind of goals to set. I just go like, if I if I work as hard as I can, but do things the right way, and really try to write songs that I'm proud of. Let's just kind of see where the chips fall, and that's kind of a decision. That, I mean, almost Luke and I've talked about it a lot. Where it's like before we even had publishing deals or record deals or whatever. Like, hey, we don't really know how, what we don't know what people want to hear. So let's just write some things that are true to us and see what. And happen what happens, and so I haven't, you know, I've had some some internal goals like bucket list moments, like the Grand Ole Opry, which we got to do this year, and get and getting a record deal, which we've got now with Black River, and sending us on the radio, which we got to do this year, and so um, and then so you have those milestone moments, like the number one as a writer, which I've got four with Luke, which is awesome, and um, you got those things, but but I try not to uh, focus on the actual those number things as much because that takes focus away from like what I'm supposed to be doing and then when I start thinking about that stuff it clogs me up up here and so luckily I've met a lot of a lot of my my personal goals one of them is to have a number one I'll just tell you one one of my own personal ones number one is a writer and artist in the same year two different songs so that would be the ultimate for me I think If there's anything that I've learned from talking to these awesome country music artists, it's that country music really does choose you. Every artist has had a different path to success, but at the core of this success is their love and passion for the genre. I'm so grateful that these guys throughout all of their different careers found their way into the genre. Be sure you check out some of these artists' upcoming projects. Craig Campbell's new single, By God, is out now. Plus, make sure you go to his website to find some tour dates. If y'all want a great new tune to add to your playlist, go stream Frank Ray's new hit, Country Look Good On You. Joe Nichols has a new project out called Good Day For Living, and it is definitely one of my new favorite projects out this year. Ray Falcher's new single, Anything Like You Dance, is making waves on both streaming and radio waves. It's out now. Once again, my name is Bobby Dixon, and I am the founder of Backstage Bobby, a country music news outlet that highlights Chicago's country music scene. Follow me on Instagram at Backstage Bobby, and be sure to subscribe to the Country Confidential podcast to hear more insider info directly from all of your favorite country music artists. Country Confidential. 
The All Country News Country Confidential Podcast is produced by me, Ashley Kim. I also executive produce alongside my team at Horseshoe Media. You can submit your artist, organization, or event to us at allcountrynews.com for a chance to be featured. If you love this episode, please rate and review our podcast wherever you're listening. And a huge shout out to our friends from Restless Road who recorded our amazing theme music for this podcast. All Country News. For more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at All Country News. Visit us at allcountrynews.com to join our birthday club and subscribe to our weekly industry newsletter. Check out a new episode of Country Confidential every month right here. All Country News.